Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Kieran Brady here. I just wanted to take this opportunity to again give credit to all involved at the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen for all of the sterling work that they do throughout the year to aid and assist the vulnerable and needy throughout the city of Sunderland and surrounding areas. It's very sad that the people who are being asked to aid and assist such individuals come from the very same communities and often find themselves in situations which many would think of as deprived and impoverished, but it certainly seems to be the way that when care and concern is requested, it tends to come from people who have had shared or similar experiences, largely because those in the corridors of power often refuse to offer any such concern. So please, 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 if you can and you're disposed to, then please assist the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. You will be able to find all of the relevant contact details and the GoFundMe page on the Roker Report. I wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas and a peaceful and prosperous 2023. Thank you. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sun and Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav, back for the first time in what feels like forever, to be honest, and uh, I'm joined by Craig Chapman. Hey mate. Good evening, you alright? Better than you. Do, you. do you want to tell the listeners about your day? Not particularly, Not really. no. no. <laughs> oh, then, shall we get it out of the way with? Craig put the wrong fuel in his car, basically. Bless him. One week before Christmas. And it's cost yeah. a decent chunk of change. So, yeah, I'm not in good spirits. I'm not really in the festive spirit today, but never mind, we'll plod on. Hopefully there's somebody very kind who's already donated to the soup kitchen fundraiser that might take pity on you and... Um, Maybe stroke your chin or <laughs> send you a nice present in the post. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're here to talk about Sunderland, of course. It's been a while since I did one of these, so I'm badly out of practice. But yeah, we're here to talk about a one-all draw with Hull, Craig. How do you feel about that? Uh, well, I think come the end of the season, I doubt we're going to be looking back on this game with any particular fondness. <laughs> um, but I think no. all things no. considered, all the variables in there, there was a decent point. I think at the start of the game, I was a little underwhelmed with well, pretty much just, just how we started the game. Um, Hull seemed to be very much the team on top. And it, I th- think it kind of felt like we were just playing the waiting game, trying to get into the second half, keep things tight, keep things level, and then bring on Ross Stewart. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just I just felt that we were a little bit flat. Uh, maybe I expected a little bit more, but 
then you go a quarter of an hour in, you, you lose Danny Bart. A little bit longer, we give away a penalty. You lose a man and then go on to take the lead. Like I say, I think with, with all of those things, you know, kind of considered, it, it's a point, we take it and we just move on. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, I share most of them feelings. I think the team selection, you're right, was probably a little bit underwhelming. I think in the pre-match stuff we put out on the website, Martin thought that he might make five changes, but the team selection wasn't as ambitious as that. We we just made the one and it was an enforced one. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was there for the taking. Even at half-time, we sat there like, I know the first half's been poor, but this is for the taking. If we really want it and we show a little bit of ambition with some early changes, we can maybe win this pretty easily. Because Hull were crap, to be honest. Like I wasn't impressed with them at all. They were about as low a mid-table as it gets when you, you know, we've, we've seen some pretty naff teams this season and I would say they're probably up there. Like, really not impressed mm-hmm. with Hull. But we weren't much better. That's not to say Sunderland are, are a better team than Hull. We weren't much better than they were. In fact, when we joined the call before we, we started this chat, uh, I brought up the stats from the game and I didn't realise that we only had one shot on target, 39% possession, which isn't like us. It was a, yeah, I think all things considered, you just said it there. I mean, the main the main things, losing Danny Bart early in the game, who's he's been our best player this season in my book. Yeah. Having a man sent off, which we'll get on to. They had a penalty, again, which we'll get on to. You know, all those things considered, although we took the lead, I think a point was probably a fair result in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, I would say so. And I think if we're looking for positives, I think it was the fact that even when, you know, we went down to, to 10 men, and we can talk about the the timing of the substitutions, but it still felt that we actually fancied our chances. We made some good changes. We, we still fancied our chances of winning the game. You take the lead. And it was just a shame that perhaps we couldn't have held on. So I think, you know, we showed a, a great amount of resolve because if you're playing the, the last half an hour with 10 men and Hull were knocking on the door for the length of time that there were, we've done okay and like I say it's it's one of those games where we'll forget it a couple of weeks from now but like I say it's a point we'll move on it was an interesting like I say an interesting team selection from Mowbray wasn't it because the game last week on Monday at West Brom was it was poor like by the end of the game we were all frustrated with the way that it ended and I think it was one of those situations where everyone was expecting a bunch of changes just to try and pick things up a little bit at least put a rocket up some of the lads who haven't been playing particularly well. And he, he stayed pretty loyal to the same players. I mean, like I say, the only change was the forced one. If Pritchard had been fit, he probably would have started ahead of Embleton, I think. I, I do think Clark was always set to come in. So, you know, one change and it was a forced one. I mean, you look at the team shape. I mean, it, it's it's easy saying this in hindsight, but let's quickly look at it. We had Patterson and goal. Uh, Elise playing left-back again, which is something we should probably talk about because you know hasn't been a good couple of weeks for him uh, Danny Bart playing with Luke O'Neill at centre half Lyndon Gooch uh, right back again uh, Dan Neal and Corey Evans which appears to be his favourite midfield too uh, Ahmad playing out on the right who is undroppable at the minute you know Jack Clark coming on the left Embleton in the 10 position in the absence of uh, Alex Pritchard and then Ella Sims up front a little bit surprising maybe to not see a couple of changes there or was that largely what you think he was going to go with um i perhaps would have thought that maybe Sirkin could have come in i know yeah. that um you know from monday it was a funny one wasn't it because you know for as good as we were in the first half in the second half it was just it was polar opposite and i think yeah 
there was probably an argument to be made that anybody could have come out the team after that performance. I would have ideally liked to have seen Dennis Serkin come in. I really like Elise here, but I think he's looked quite uncomfortable when he is playing at left back in in a four. And although he, he you know, he done okay, he gets stuck in, he, and he, he wins some headers because of his height, and he's very competitive in that sense. But I think we've been targeted specifically down the flanks, West Brom yeah. obviously, and and against Hull in particular. So I, I don't know. I, I think I would prefer to see Sergan come in there. The issue that I think we've got with with obviously Gucci right back is that you know based on the subs on the bench again, it's one of them. You know, where's Trey Hume? Obviously, where's Niall Huggins? Don't know if they're if they're out injured at the moment. If, if you know if there's been any developments with them, so that really again does seem like it's Lyndon Gooch's position to lose. I know he's he's held in a very high regard, obviously from well, basically every manager. Really, every manager's always had a lot of favoritism for Lyndon Gooch. I like him there. I think he's a good player, but again, he's, he's he has been exposed a little bit. If he is to play anywhere in that position, I I would prefer him much as a as a wing back. I think he struggles in a back four. Just just to butt in on that, like I think that was probably the biggest annoyance through the game for me was just the fact that our fullbacks weren't stopping crosses coming into the box. Ultimately it's, it's that, yeah. You're right, we're being targeted. I think teams are looking at us and seeing that the fullbacks aren't very good at it. And even we just touched on Monday, but in that game we brought on Clark and Circan because we were being targeted down the left. Yeah. And it still didn't improve. And I thought, well, you know, on the back of that surely we'll improve on it in this game. And it was down both sides. It wasn't just Elise, and I'm not picking on him, because Gooch was just as at fault for it. But every time it seemed that they were coming down the flanks, it wasn't. I wasn't seeing them getting turned inside out. I was seeing them standing like five, ten yards off their man yeah. and allowing crosses into the box, which can't be a directive, because obviously that, that's brain dead, but we are so bad at defending balls into the box that... You have to stop the crosses. It's just, mm-hmm. it isn't even a skill, is it, in football to be able to do that? It's it's a basic. Like, you expect your fullbacks to just get the body in the way. If it goes out for a corner, it goes out for a corner. You take it. You've got to stop them crosses. And that's something we have to work on, isn't it? And I think you can see why he's gone with Alicia at left back because he obviously likes the height he brings to the team, but he likes playing a 4 2 3 1. So it's like, well, he has to play a left-back in a four rather than in a three or a five. And like you've just said, Gooch is clearly the favourite. You know, we haven't seen Trey Hume since that Birmingham game where he actually played really well. Yeah, Niall did, Huggins yeah. hasn't been since, seen since then. So uh, it's a weird one. I think there's probably a wider discussion about whether Mowbray's favouritism towards certain players is beneficial or not. I think on this occasion, definitely wasn't beneficial. I'd like to think that we're going to learn from just how many crosses we allowed down the sides because better teams will take advantage of us. I think we've been pretty lucky, to be honest, that Hull weren't great because a better team may have scored another goal or two and beat us because of just how often we gave them room down the sides. I mean, I'm... I'm loath to kind of like single anybody out or really criticise because I think all things considered, halfway through the season, sat bang smack a mid-table. In my opinion, and based on my pre-season kind of predictions, I think we're exceeding expectations. We're exceeding my expectations, certainly. So I, I, mm. I don't particularly want to dig anybody out and say people aren't performing or people aren't good enough because after 23 games, you know, where we are in the league table, it indicates that we are. But yeah, these are these are just minor things. These aren't yeah, like big. These aren't big fixable. issues. Like yeah, it is. It's fixable. We're not we're not talking about totally rewiring the team here. These are just little things. Like you know, mm-hmm. stop the crosses coming into the box. 
you, st- you do that and you, we are a lot tighter at the back and it's just it's just a small thing that we have to do. I actually agree with what you said though. I would have liked to have seen Sirkin come in for this game. I love Agiolise, but I think if we're going to persist with a four, we could probably do with that balance that maybe Sirkin gives us just because yeah. it's a specialist position and I know Elise is left-footed and to be honest, he has attributes which are really good when it comes to a left-back. He's big, he's strong, very good on the ball, I think. He does get forward well. Um, but I agree with what you said before. I think maybe he's just he, he looks a little bit uncomfortable there. And if we're going to go with a four, if that's where we see things going forward, then, yeah, maybe it's time to give... I mean, Sirkin did nothing wrong to lose his place, by the way. He just got no. injured, didn't he? So yeah, that's it, yeah. At, at the same time, going back to something I just said before, you know, on Monday night, Sirkin came on at left-back and and we were still poor at stopping the crosses down that side. So this isn't an Elise problem. I think it's just a team problem. We, yeah. we we don't seem particularly great at it. But yeah, it's a minor thing. We're not talking about digging players out here or anything. It's just something that we have to fix. Other than that, yeah, so Danny Bart came off pretty early and Daniel Ballard got a lot more minutes on the pitch than Tony Mowbray had, had planned for. He actually said that after the game, didn't he? He said, you know, we didn't want him on as long as we did. But I thought he did quite well, Ballard. I know he gave the penalty away. Was it a penalty in your eyes? Uh, I've got to got to try and look at things impartially, haven't you? Because we've got two really big decisions to discuss. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, right? Because I was oh, watching the game via a stream, just like anybody else, just like all of the other parasites, whatever. So I had that on, but I also had Sky Sports running in the background. And interestingly, Michael Dawson, obviously former whole player, turned around and said he didn't think it was a penalty. And he also said it was very much justice for Sunderland when, when obviously he put it wide. But you, you replaying this now, I don't know. It just looks clumsy. Like, uh, but I'm not, I'm not convinced. Honestly, I, I think we've probably no. made worse challenges this season, where ultimately it hasn't resulted in a penalty. Yeah, and I, I dare say if, if, if that was at the Stadium of Light, we probably wouldn't have got that decision. I think it was just the. I think it was probably the speed of the incident. Like, like yeah. I'm pulling it back now. Their player goes absolutely flying through the air. If you watch the direction of the ball, it yeah, it yeah. doesn't change. It, it looks as though Ballard gets the ball because the, if you watch the, I mean, we're, again, we're just pulling it back here. Obviously, the listeners can't see it. The ball goes the direction you'd expect it to go if Ballard makes contact with it. Yeah, it just comes in with a bit of momentum, doesn't he? And I think that's, that's all it, it is. Yeah. He basically comes in, and if that. That's maybe 20 yards further up the pitch. I don't think he stops for that. But look, I mean, to be fair, I don't really want to talk about the referee for another 20-odd minutes like we do every <laughs> other week. He was terrible yesterday. It was absolutely terrible, some of the decisions he made. And, and I personally think he got that one wrong. Yeah, I, well, I'm just, like you, I'm sick of talking about referees, really. I mean, I've I've watched a fair bit of the World Cup and the refs at the World Cup are terrible. And that's with the benefit of VR. And these are meant to be the best referees best the in best. the world. Yeah. So what hope have you got in the championship, really? You know, I mean, we we did hope that um, things would have improved after promotion, but they just haven't. We're largely getting the same referees, anyways, aren't we? You know, the, yeah. the tent to just float between the two leagues. Again, another wider topic, really. But and I'm not a massive fan of VAR, but when I, when I see it being used in the Scottish Premiership, I'm thinking like, why don't we have it in the championship? Just because the refs are so bad that little decisions like that. Yeah, I don't know if he'd give that with the benefit of a of a couple of replays, different angles and stuff. But like you said, justice to Sunderland, mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, I mean, Estupinian's penalty was terrible. This is a guy who early season has scored for fun in the championship, had a had a little bit of a barren spell, and 
come back into the team for this game and you, you're expecting them as, I mean it's funny isn't it you've got to think these players have been watching all of the World Cup they've watched loads of penalty shootouts in the last couple of weeks like what's the one constant of the good penalty takers they just lace it they just put their foot through it yeah. and he's tried to place it to the side of of Anthony Patterson and I mean it looks like he scuffs it a little bit it's not even a it's not even well hit nah, I don't terrible. know for me, if you're if you're a professional footballer, especially a striker, you must be practicing that every day. Just lace it. Like I always think of Graham Alexander, who played mm. a few years ago now, probably the best penalty taker I've ever seen. He used to just wallop it, and it was always high, and it was obviously practiced because he, you know, it's a bit of a skill. But he used to just put his foot through it, and keep has never got near any of his penalties. And if if I was like a coach of it professional team I'd just be putting his penalties on looking going like look what you've got to do just put your foot through it but yeah I mean it was good for us that he missed and it gave us a, a second chance the big talking point on the back of that though was at half time a lot of us and I, I, I mean in our group chat on whatsapp and me talking to me mates and stuff and then I had a glance on twitter at half time as well a lot of people were of the same opinion that we probably should have made a couple of changes at the break one, because the game was there for the taking, and two, really the performance hadn't been good enough. So a couple of changes could have given us a fresh impetus going into the second half. And it's not really a trait of Tony Mowbray's to do that. He doesn't He doesn't make lots of changes. I mean, it, and it, to be fair to him, it's worked, because I've seen it where we've been really bad in the first half. I think Swansea away was one of them, where we've been really bad in the first half, and everybody's screaming for changes. And he gives the players the benefit of the doubt, and they actually come out and perform a lot better. I've seen that work for him, but I've also seen it not work for him. And I think it was pretty obvious that we could have made a couple of changes, and it probably we would have been different in the in the start of the second half, and we weren't. We came out, and it was more of the same. We got away with it a little bit. I know there's, it's up for debate whether it was even a penalty, but we still gave away a penalty, and it could have been different. And we got that second chance because Stupinian missed it. And you're thinking, right, now make some changes. And we still didn't. We still didn't make them changes. And then there was the incident with Elliot Embleton just about 10 minutes after the missed penalty. A couple of things here. I mean, it was a it was a lot to digest. I mean, the first thing is, was it a red in your book? No. And I've watched, honestly, I've watched this back about 100 times now. Originally from some kind of like crappy phone recording of the stream but the good thing about it was is it provided like multiple angles and the yeah. big thing for me first and foremost is that the person who arguably who has got the best view of where Embleton's feet actually are is the assistant referee on the touchline doesn't put the flag up not phased happy to allow it to continue I know that the referee straight away as soon as it happens you know he's got the whistle in his mouth look at it well look at the game we're watching it look at look at how fast he steams over he can't wait to give the red card I know it yeah. took a while because of Elliot Hamilton's injury but I mean it, it goes back to this thing just with bad officials really I mean I, I'll, I'll be honest at first glance I thought oh he's high there and Then, but you're right I mean the player raises he actually ducks a little bit as he's jumping as does Embleton by the way I actually think I'm more annoyed with Embleton because he hasn't put his head in the in the way it's head height you know get your head in the way win the header it's almost like they both bottled it yeah yeah and it's forced him into doing what he's done which is sort of jump off the ground mm. and it's not high it isn't high It. Do, I think he does make contact with the player's thigh but I think, I th- it's I think- not high yeah, the, the way the way I've kind of looked at this is he goes in, he tries ever so casually to bring his foot out, 
But if anything, the other guy sticks an elbow into him. And if anything, that's where it's kind of his foot comes up and he goes back, which makes it look even worse. It's yeah. the thea- it's the theatrics of their guy who go who drops to the deck. He, he he stops. He's got his hands around his ribs and he just slings himself to the ground. And I tell you what, not yeah. right. I mean, fair enough. You can understand why it was given based on the referee's view. You can. I think I think it looks it probably looks worse than it is from his viewpoint. But you talk about going to VAR and things like that. I I don't think it'd be given. I, I honestly don't. But no. What I'm what I'm also thinking is is Elliot Embleton's gone down. It's reported that it's a broken leg. So, you know, it's reasonable to suggest that he's, he's being given just as much as he's put into the challenge. And I, yeah. I think if he's got a red card, the other guy's got to go as well. Well, I, you're looking at this frame I've paused on. And again, sorry, listeners, you can't see this, but this is for our benefit. The ball is way above Embleton's head height. He's, to me, he's got to put his head in the way. I, I just feel like, you know... I would have liked him to try lean into us, just basically go in, jump in, lean in, and 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 basically and and just utilize your strength there and and try yeah. and shove him out of the way. And you know what? If you lose the ball, so be it. You've went in and you've 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 lost the challenge, no problem. But as a result, I think it's a bit of indecisiveness from the pair of them. Embleton obviously has come off way worse. His season's now probably over as a result, and I'm still scratching my head to think that's him done now. We don't know how long his recovery is going to be uh, in his rehabilitation. And the bad thing is, is he gets sent off. And yeah. we've seen that there was a there's a few Hull fans replying to tweets and things like that saying it wasn't a red card. Now, look, I know this is going to be splitting people's um, you know kind of viewpoints on this. A lot of our fans on the message board saying it was a red card. Some saying it wasn't. No, not for me. Nowhere near a red card. I, again, like I said earlier about decisions going against us, I think that we've had worse decisions against us, worse challenges against us, and players have come away with no booking. So I'm I'm really mm. disappointed with that one. Yeah, and we wish him the best uh, in his recovery. I think it's uh, that's the most unfortunate thing here. A lad's you know going to lose a, a chunk of his uh, his career to an injury, which was totally avoidable. It's just sad in it, but these things happen. It's a contact sport. It's very unlikely you're going to go all season without suffering a couple of long injuries to a couple of your regulars. And we've had more now a fair share. We've had no luck with it really. I mean, it, now. even now it, feel, it feels like all oh, right. We're turning the corner. We're getting people back. There's Stuart back. There's Ballard back. And then you lose Bart goes two. down yeah. and Hamilton's out for the season and God, we don't know how long Bart's going to be out but if it's a muscle tear or a strain or whatever it could be a while, you know so we're getting no luck with injuries but yeah, we hope um, hope Elliot Hamilton comes back a better player for it but I guess, um, you know there'll be an opportunity for other players now in his absence there's going to be probably more chances for the likes of Abdullah Bar and Mishu if he comes back and maybe even Patrick Roberts who's been out the team a little bit you know these lads are waiting for a chance and just one of those things really I guess we've just got to crack on from here haven't we but yeah so that incident was what spurred us into life I think after that Tony Mowbray made a raft of changes he made three on the hour mark which was um, Adji Elise coming off for Dennis Serkin which I think was clear needed to happen because Elise was struggling Ross Stewart came on for Ellis Sims Sims had Probably his poorest game since come back from injury. Just wasn't in the game what whatsoever. And uh, Patrick Roberts came on for Jack Clark, who again, Jack Clark's having a, a little bit of a poor run for me. I don't know, he's had a couple of games where he's just not getting into it. So it would be nice to see Roberts given a, a bit bit of a chance because there's a player who um, Tony Mowbray made a big song and a dance about when he came in as the most talented player in the squad. And, and we, you know, because of the form of Ahmad, he's not really had a sniff, has he? But those three players came on I thought we looked immediately better with Cirkin at left back. To be honest, I think um, 
we just looked more balanced with him in the team. Ross Stewart, and this is no slight on Ellis Sims, but Ross Stewart is just so good. Like you notice him on the pitch, you notice the impact of him in the game. He's he's the best player we've got in my opinion. Like as an all round footballer, we don't have anybody who can lick him. He's so good, and that's not a slight on Ellis Sims. He just isn't Ross Stewart, and I think when you put Ross Stewart up front, it's like you've got two players up there. Because mm. he does everything, and then when they were getting corners, he was clear. I think it was the first corner they got after he came on. It comes to him and he clears it, and I'm just like, oh god, I've missed him. Like, it's not just the goals. We'll come on to the goal, but it's everything, isn't it? With Ross Stewart, he's just. It was like he's never been away. I know his last game was in August, and it's now nearly January, but it's like he's never been away. He was just. He was everywhere again. Yeah. You normally expect somebody who's been out for that length of time to have a bit of rustiness, but as soon as he came on, you just knew that like the performance levels, everyone around him, like he he just raised everybody's standards by mm-hmm. by tenfold straight away. And um yeah, and I think bringing Roberts on at the exact same time with him as well, it just really lifted us. And you think, I mean, we'll talk about Roberts first. Like you say, he gets so much praise, you know, but he hasn't been really given any game time, in my opinion, the season that he, that he's deserved. And I think really now, now is an example of where just by giving a chance, he's shown straight away what he can do. So calm and composed on the ball. And I mean, that ball over for Stewart was was absolutely incredible. Just relieves the pressure straight away. And it's not one of them rash just hitting hope. Like watching this back now, he knows exactly where he's playing that, and it's to an absolute perfection over the top. Goalkeeper hesitates, allows Stewart just a little bit of extra time to decide what he's going to do, and straight away that just just an absolutely unbelievable finish. Just so so cheeky as well the way they just knocks it past the keeper. <laughs> it just it makes him look so daft, honestly. And you think there, like I say, that that's a moment where we we have that that talent in abundance where Hull were absolutely battering the life out of us for a period, and literally Ballard wins the ball back, Roberts straight under us, straight over the top, and bang you 1-0 up. And you think, if, we, if we're, we're capable of doing that, we're capable of, of, of winning any game, really. It's it's just like I say, it's it's an accumulation of daft things yesterday that, that ultimately cost us going down, obviously, to 10 men, and just like I say, just a couple of rash things, really. But yeah, I, I think all in all, the, the positives that we've got to take away is, is having Ross Stewart back. I mean, he's he's absolutely superb. On the flip side, you've got to look at it and start panicking again straight away and thinking, <laughs> one, when are we going to get this contract situation sorted? And two, just even if we do get him to, and tie him down for a little bit longer, how long are we going to actually have him? Because, I, I you know, we've we've discussed it before. I, I, I can see him playing in the Premier League. His career trajectory from this point it's only going to be up, isn't it? He's yeah. absolutely incredible. Yeah, before I give my thoughts on Stuart, just on the goal, Ballard's tackling the lead up to the goal. Hull wanted a free kick for it. You watch their nah, players stick their hands never. in the air. But it's an absolutely brilliant tackle. Like. Yeah. I mean, yes, he goes in through the back of their player, but it's the way he wraps his foot round the other player's foot to mm. win it. It's just a cracking tackle. And I'll be honest... I fully expect, given how bad the refs are, yes, I fully expected the ref to blow for that. But to his credit, he, he let it crack on. He he didn't even like you know gesture to say play on or no, you know he just he just cracked on with it. And like you said, the ball from Roberts, that's the quality he has that maybe some of the other players don't have. And that again, mm-hmm. that's not a slight on anybody in particular. Just Patrick Roberts is a really good footballer. And you, I agree with what you just said before. I don't think he's been given a fair crack of the whip this season. When Alex Neal was here, he never got a sniff. When Mowbray first came in, he did get a chance and he played well. 
he scored goals, he got assists, like he he done nothing wrong really to lose his place in the team. The the only thing that's gone wrong for Roberts is Ahmad really. Ahmad's just came alive and became the most informed player in the squad and the they play the same position. And it it's just unfortunate really. But we in my opinion, we have to find a way to get them both in the team. Yeah. Particularly now Stuart's back. Stuart is a brilliant player. We create chances, he will score goals. They are the two most creative players we've got. Play them both. Like find a way. The other players in the team have to realise these are the best players we've got. You do a lot of their running for them and they will produce. And I think that's the way it's got to be now because Pat Roberts isn't as consistent as Ahmad, I would say. Like Ahmad looking very consistent. Since he came at the team, you can't fault Ahmad. Like he's, he, I don't even think he's had a bad game. You could argue maybe you know Hull wasn't his best performance. I wouldn't say he played badly. But you know generally speaking, he's quite a consistent player. Uh, Roberts might not be, but it's moments like that where you realise how good a footballer is. And I know that Hull made it very easy for us by having a high line, their goalkeeper hesitating, but it's, he, he knows what Stuart is like as a forward and he's just thought, if I pop that into that space over the top, he's going to be on the end of it. And that's exactly what happened. Brilliant lofted ball over the top. Everybody in the ground watching from home, the goalkeeper as well, all think Stuart's going to try and lob him from there because that's the natural thing to do. You know, you look at the distance between him and the goal. The goalkeeper is more than halfway between the two. So you're thinking, well, he's never going to go around him because he hasn't got the time to control it and go around the goalkeeper. It's going over his head. It's going to be a lob. So the keeper jumps thinking he's going to get lobbed. Stuart just passes it under him. It's, it's an absolutely brilliant finish. So composed. Like I say, Ian, I think I tweeted on it off our account. He's so composed from a man who's been injured for about 15 years. That's what it feels like. Like... You just don't expect that from anybody who's had that length of time out on the side. You said rustiness. That's the word, really. You expect him to be rusty, but Ross Stewart isn't rusty. Clearly got himself ready for this game. And it's another fantastic goal from him. And there's a reason why people are talking about him as a player who down the line could could leave and we could sell. And you said it before, you can see him playing in the Premier League. I think people will look at the fact that he's not really experienced in this in this league because of the fact he was injured for so long is the main reason and he's just never played at this level and people outside of the club will look at Ross Stewart and not get it but I've seen enough of him to say he will be in the Premier League at some point soon he's that good like yeah. strikers like that don't grow on trees yes he's a good goal scorer he's a defender's nightmare but he's he just it's everything about Ross Stewart. I don't need to explain this to people listening because 99% of the people listening to this podcast are Sunderland fans. They know exactly what he's like. But it's that point that other fans of other clubs and people in the media and stuff don't get. And I hope that translates to recruitment teams in the Premier League. I don't want him to go anywhere. But it just seems inevitable at this point because he's just so good. And, I mean, it's pointless worrying about something that hasn't happened. Like, I, I said this in the summer when people were... It was mainly our own fans were saying, well, he's off to Rangers, isn't he? He's going to go to Rangers, Rangers. Whether there was any truth in that, we don't know. But as far as we're concerned, there was no truth in it because he never went anywhere. There was no hint of him going to Rangers. I'm sure the club have fielded a lot of offers already for him. And we all know that he's got to get this contract signed. But yeah. it's it's inevitable people are going to look at him. You just watch him and you're like, God, he would make such a difference to so many teams higher up than us. With the greatest of respect to like, Scottish football and Rangers Celtic, whatever. Like I would be absolutely raging if if that's 
that was his next career move. Yeah, I, I really yeah, he's better be than that. There's there's no point of him going and playing in farmers fields and scoring like you know, four goals every week just for <laughs> just just to finish second. The, the thing is, right? It's Plastic not pictures. It's, it's shite, isn't it? Right. The thing is, we can call it what it is. It is absolute bollocks. Like fit. There's just no point. There's no point at all. Basically, you go up there, you're going to finish second every year, and then maybe you have that one year where you take Celtic off the top of the league. Like, what's what's the point in that? At least if he. Again, you look at the teams who compete at the top of our division, Sheffield United, Burnley, teams like that. I think he would get in their teams immediately and he would improve them immediately as well. If you look at every striker who we've played, because I think what well, we've played every team now, haven't we? We're halfway through. Is there any striker you can think of that is as good as him? The the lad of Coventry, uh, Ge- yeah, was, that was the first one that came to my mind. Him, him and Stewart are probably the best two strikers I've seen in the championship brilliant brilliant player but if you look at you know how many appearances he's made and stuff like that like he's i think he's got what 10 goals i mean there's, there's stewart he's he's literally what played eight eight or nine games he's got six goals he, he is in easily the top three strikers of this league you've got him Gyokarez, you know blackburn were taking bids for 20 million for brereton diaz and and this is not yeah. me by the way saying like we're you know we've got to sell him for 20 million or whatever like that but i think i think what we've got to look at now is is we've got to determine as as a football club, where we're going to be going? Because, in my idea, this season was always about consolidation. I never thought we'd finish as high as twelfth, but if we do, then that's basically that's our standpoint to kick on for next season, and that's that's hopefully something that we can entice them with to say like, look, this is where we are. We're going to have another season next season where we're going to kick on and, and challenge for the playoffs or whatever. But right now, we've got to try and come to some agreement with them, even if it's so much as just triggering that one year extension, just so we can give ourselves just a bit of security. Because at the minute, it's you're hearing positive things, you know, the, the club are coming out saying he wants to stay and, and obviously we, we know how much we want him. But I think in terms of this plan, we, we know that ultimately, you know, that we're copying models, copying, you know, Brentford and Brighton and all of this sort of stuff where we're going to sell players and reinvest that money. I think Ross Stewart is the exception. Ross Stewart is the exception where you ultimately may not cash in at the, you know, the, the top whack, the top value, because how do you, how do you replace him? Honestly, I mean, look, Charlie White scored, what, 31 goals for us that season. But you look how good Stewart is in comparison to him. Like, it's like you said, he's the full package. He does absolutely everything. Yesterday, it was an interesting quote, right? I'm, I was having a look at the echo. Um, Phil Smith put his, his reaction piece out. And he described it when Stewart came on. It was, it was 11 versus 10.5. It did not feel like we were playing with one man less. Because as soon as Stewart comes on does everything he closes everybody down he presses he harasses people plays on the shoulder and i i honestly think we we we're not we're not ready to get rid of him yes i don't care what the price is it would, it would have to be something obscenely high in january or the summer for us to even entertain us and even then i yeah. think we we we've really got a we've got to try and at least come to some sort of agreement with him yeah. because i th- i think he wants to stay but ultimately we've got to pay him what he's worth because reasonable to suggest he came in on a low contract because we've got him in from nowhere league one money he's had an uplift obviously with his promotion bonus but if you're looking at a striker of his talent he needs to be the highest paid player at this club and he needs to be on a proper competitive wage and other teams might be able to pay more than us but still we've we've got to try and at least got to try and at least show him that staying with us for a little bit longer is going to be better than say moving to a club getting a little bit richer you know, and, and maybe that move not working out. We've done well by him so far. I think now we've just got to do the the right thing. We've got to we've got to ultimately come to some sort of agreement with him, and we've just got to pay him 
not necessarily what he wants. We've still got to try and have obviously some sort of bargaining in there, but we've got to get him tied down. So at least when the day comes that he does move on, that we've got a little bit of security in there that we are going to get some money as well. Yeah, the the the, the thing is with this whole situation is I, I don't think it's just as simple as like give him a contract and there's so many moving parts that it's it's not just about what Sunderland want necessarily. And I agree with you, by the way. I do think he wants to stay. stay. I think I think he loves it here. He's at a football club where he can thrive and he can grow and the club will grow with him. But if you're representing Ross Stewart and you're advising him on what to do, you're probably telling tell him, look, bide your time. Like, just oh, of course. keep doing what you're doing. Keep playing your football. It's within your interest to just wait. Like, you've got that security. Sunderland are never not going to trigger that extension. So you've got at least a, another year here. At least, they're gonna offer you a deal soon. If they don't, if we can't come to some agreement around January time, they'll offer you another deal in the summer, regardless of how it goes from here. Bide your time. That's the advice I would be giving them. I'd be telling them take your time. Don't rush into making any decisions on your future yet, because if you have a really good second half of the season, then not only are the quality of teams who want you gonna be better, but you know, you're also in a position where you can demand more from Sunderland. You can actually go to them and go, look what I'm giving you. Like, I'm worth a lot more than what you're offering. So from his standpoint, he's got to, he's got to bide his time. And that doesn't make him disloyal. No. It doesn't make him a problem. You know, there was a, some daft suggestions from some people, like when he wasn't in the team on Monday. Oh, well, that must mean he's away. You know, things like that. They're not helpful. You've got to remember that this is a business. It's like a, it's a job, like anyone else's job. If my boss, you know, wants to keep me and I'm being headhunted for a position elsewhere, I can then turn around to him and say, look, they're offering us this much more than what your pain is. Can you offer me a little bit more? It's exactly the same when it comes to football. You know, Ross Stewart's got a value and other clubs are going to pay more than what we can offer him right now. And if he's got his head screwed on, he just takes his time. He doesn't have to rush into anything. And that's not what people want to hear. People no. want us to be like, give him whatever he wants and just do it. And from the club's perspective, they, they also can't do that because it sets a precedent, you know. The club have got to be careful as well. And that's not saying don't don't pay Ross Stewart what he's worth. Don't offer him a contract. It's just, again, it, this, is a, this is just a bargaining situation and I think we're just going to have to bide our time. And I, I actually think it, it would probably be beneficial if people just, like, let it play out. Don't I don't for one minute think that the club don't intend to give this guy a contract and I don't think they'll piss him around either. They know no. how good he is. So let's just see how it goes. I mean, it all it all feeds into this thing whether what do you do you trust the people making the decisions or not? It's very early in the in the relationship between Christian Speakman and, and the fan base and a lot of it has been great and there's been some elements which haven't gone so well. And, you know, it's too early to say we fully trust everything he does. I would imagine a lot of people would say that. And I, I totally get why that would then give them the idea, like, we're going to lose this guy and we're going to fuck it up. Because Sunderland have done it so many times in the past with players. So it's natural to feel really pessimistic about the situation. It would be best for everybody if we just sort of let it play out. And I think he will sign a new deal. I don't think that Ross Stewart's going to go anywhere. But if he does go and he will go at some point I would like to think it's it's a it's a really understandable situation where we can look at it 
objectively and be like, I can see why he's chosen to go, and go there. Like you just said about Celtic and Rangers before, that's not where he should be going. He should be no. If he goes anywhere, it should be to a, a team in the Premier League who are challenging for the top 10, really. To me, Sunderland are, are, one, are still one of the biggest clubs in the country. Don't care, you know, half the teams in the Premier League are nowhere near the size of this club and that does make a difference to a lot of players as well. I know he's probably frustrated with the, the lack of time he's had on the pitch because of his injury and stuff and he'll just want to get back to playing football and scoring goals and maybe revisit this down the line. And yeah, I just think we're going to have to be patient whether we like it or not. I don't like it, Gav. I want him to say the contract now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 again, it comes down to this. It comes down to whether we we we're prepared to be patient or not. Whether you're prepared to trust the people who are doing the the negotiating on our behalf. But I actually think if if we look at this with clarity, this isn't going to be resolved soon. No, it's not. It's not. You're right with that. And like you say, you know, balls firmly in his court, isn't it? And with somebody whispering in his ear, you've just scored again yesterday. And then if he scores against Blackburn and he scores a couple more over there, festive fixtures, like like you say, it's it'd be it'd be wise from from his his sort of um, position at the moment not not to commit too easily. But yeah, it's it's one of them. Like I say, maybe maybe my ass is just twitching a little bit. I'm 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 worrying. Yeah. I'm worrying. I mean, you're talking about teams well, well, I could go to. He he he, yeah. he could go to what. Bottom half of the Premier League there, who have you got? You could play for Wolves, Southampton, you could easily well, get the Forest Wolves, Wolves is the one that worries me, because Wolves have got money, mm. the strikers aren't scoring goals, and he would give them a lot. Southampton, that's the type of player Southampton would sign usually. They aren't scared to dip into the Championship. No, they I mean, the signed the, the, the Newcastle lad, didn't they? For, um, Armstrong, Adam Armstrong from Blackburn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he went, he went for a big fee. Shea Adams as well. Yeah. Who was at Birmingham? Um, Forest. Well, there's every chance they'd come in for him because they'll probably sign another twenty players. Everton don't have a striker. Calvert Lewin's not fit. Rondon's shite. Thing is, if you've got Jordan Pickford playing balls over the top as well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, West Ham have only got Mikel Antonio. They did set, set, spend a bit on a young Italian striker, didn't they? But I don't know whether he's been playing. Uh, Leeds probably do with a striker. So. You know, we could go through most of the teams in the bottom half of the Prem and make a case for them coming in for a player like Stuart. So, like, I, I'm not meaning to worry people. I'm just saying it is a very real possibility that teams who are struggling in the in the Premier League may well look at him and be like, we can get him or we can pay forty million for somebody off the continent, and they might just do the same job. And that's the that's the thing. So, from our perspective, yes, be great to get him tied up to a deal. Do I think it's going to be resolved before the summer? No, <laughs> I just don't. I don't think he's going anywhere. He'll still be here by the end of January. I put my house on it. I just think teams, clubs who have not watched Ross Stewart as much as we have probably don't understand how good he is yet because he has only played, you've just said, eight, eight or nine times in the championship. And that's a that's still a big gamble. If you're a Premier League team who are struggling, your fan base are expecting a little bit more than a 26-year-old Scotland striker who's only played 10 times in the championship. That's maybe where it's our benefit in this window. So I, I think we have got time. And, you know, people listen to this, you might disagree with something me or Craig have said on the Stuart situation. I think it's, you know, everyone's got their own view on it. A lot of people really just want to see him tied down. We all want to see him tied down. But I just think if we're being realistic, it's probably not going to be sorted anytime soon. So I'm just enjoying him while he's here. To be honest, I said, I've said this on podcasts before, Craig. 
I think I, I've came to terms with the idea that we will just sell anybody at some point. It's about the tr- again. It comes to this trust thing. Like it's a wide as a wider topic. Like you know, we've yet to see Sunderland sell a player that we've brought in under this regime for big money. So we don't know how things are going to work out. Like with Brentford and Brighton fans, they've watched their clubs do it so many times now that when they do sell a player, it doesn't. It probably doesn't hurt. They're just used to it. They know that the club are going to replace them with someone equally as good for a fraction of the price. And then two or three years down the line, that same player will go on and, and do the same thing and go elsewhere and they'll make money. And it's it's about constant. That, that's the ideal for Sunderland is that when these players do leave, we replace them adequately. And because that theory hasn't been tested yet, it's totally understandable why people wouldn't trust it. And that I just think that's something we're going to have to come to terms with that they are going to sell players we like. And we've just got to cross our fingers and hope that they get it right when it comes to replacing them. So maybe that's where January, like we did when you, you mentioned Charlie White before, we signed Stuart in the January. We signed him when he was injured. He was a data signing. You know, he was being, from what we're told, he was being tracked by a lot of clubs who weren't really keen on parting with the money because he was injured. And we did, and we we got the gamble right. That He's got to be one of the best signings we've made in the last 20 or so years, based on purely on just... He came out of nowhere and look how good he is and we could make a lot of money on him if we sold him like in January. And that that's what we've got to hope. We've got to hope that in January, maybe, we bring in somebody who, if Ross Stewart does leave in the summer, we've already got the, the replacement through the door. That should be the ideal, shouldn't it? Yeah, um, it's going to take, obviously, uh, I guess, something major from the recruitment team to, to try and bring somebody in who's, who's at his level. But like you say, it's one of those things... It's, just probably going to worry anybody and everybody really until uh, until something happens. But at least for the moment, let's look at the positives. Came on brilliant yesterday. Scored a, an important goal and just got to try and kick on now. Get him back into the team. Is hopefully fighting fit. Hopefully he can start against Blackburn. But um, you know, you look back at some of them games where perhaps we've drawn or lost, and and you think if if we've had him without injury for the past couple of months, it's probably reasonable to suggest that we could be in the playoffs. Knocking oh, on the door. Without the door, easy for the top two, actually. I mean, you think, what, with ten, with 10 points off Sheffield United, you think games like Preston, Blackpool, uh, Cardiff, Middlesbrough away. I mean, like I say, we can throw a load of them out there. And I, I mean, one thing I would say is I, I don't think that we've been really outplayed by anyone majorly as of yet. Burnley had a spectacular second half against us, but I don't think anybody's actually really made us look to a point where you you go, oh, Christ, we look out of our depth here. We, we've given everybody mm. a game so far, and I think that's the biggest aggravator for a lot of people, having no recognised striker in that period. Because, I mean, like you say, he's been out for three and a half months, our best player, arguably one of the best players in the league, and there we are with three points off the playoffs. So yeah. we're a good team. So I think, obviously, if we, we look at kind of the, the, the results, you know, yeah, look, Hull and E at the bottom, they're going to pick up. West Brom... You know, you you go one nil up at home. You have a chance with Pritchard. You you try and see that out. West Brom are creeping back up the league table as well. They're only a couple of points of us, and I think they're going to make a surge. So there's going to be ups and downs. And I, I said this last time I was on the pod. It's important not to get too high, and it's important not to get too low. When you know, whenever we win or draw or lose any game, we're doing well. I think, like I said at the start of this, we exceed my expectations. Mid table will be a brilliant first season for us there's still every chance that we're going to make a really good go for it in the second half of the season because keep Stewart fit, keep Sims fit. 
you mentioned all of these options as well. Um, obviously, it's sad that we've lost Embleton, but when you've got an abundance of talent like we have, we've had, who who's to fear, really? No, well, there's nobody to fear, really. I mean, outside the top two, I think it's pretty much open season in the Championship. You know, you look at Blackburn in third. They haven't drawn a game this season. That's They've played 23 games, team. won 13 and lost 10. They've lost two more games than we have in the third, and they're eight points better off. And that's... That just shows how mad this league is, really. You, you can go right through every team. There's no consistency outside of Burnley, really. I mean, even Sheffield United in second place, they've lost five. I think I referred to this a few pods ago when I was on. You know, I remember when Peter Reid was son of the manager, we won the league and we only lost three times all season. And you're looking at this league now and you're like, it, it's anybody's. With a, I, I, actually, I know that there's a, we certainly privately in our group and stuff we've chatted a lot about expectation versus um reality you know we all just expected us to stay up we'd all be happy if we just stayed up if you look at where we are now we've won eight we've drawn seven and we've lost eight that's mid table that's bang mid table we're gonna probably be around that position if things carry on like they have but you know it isn't inconceivable that with a good january we could make several positive changes, which would result. You just said about like you know if Stewart had been fit, a few of them draws and losses would have resulted in more points. It isn't inconceivable that with a good January that we we could push on. I think getting him back's massive. Hopefully, Bart's not injured for too long. Ballard staying fit and contributing is massive because we've we've seen in like a, a game there just how I think he's great. I thought he was great before he got injured. You know, this is a lad who was a consistent performer for Millwall in the Championship last year. He's going to be a good player if he stays fit. If we can do a cut, I think, you know, January is important. Hang on to our best players for this window. Bring in a handful of quality additions. Let players leave who need to go and play football elsewhere. You know, your likes of, sadly, Jamie Tetti, a player who I think has not really had a chance, but I think he's probably set to go. You know, Trey Hume, another one who's not really had a fair chance. Michu. Maybe a Nile Mishu, yeah, somebody who's just not played because he's been unfit. You know, you know, there's there's a case you can make for a handful of players just to get them out the door, to free up some squad places, to freshen things up a little bit, bring in some quality, bring in a I think we could possibly do with a big physical central midfielder. Possibly if we're gonna let right backs go, bring in a good championship standard right back who has played maybe two hundred games at this level who we know what we're going to get out of them, who can contribute. Bring in that third striker that we've lacked recently and could potentially give us the competition we need up front. And, you know, we could be talking about Son and Bain in the playoffs. Whether people think we're ready for that is an entirely different conversation for another day. But, you know, just looking at the table as it is, we aren't a million miles off and... We could very well next maybe talking about Sunderland playing at Wembley again in the playoffs. It's not it's not a million miles. That the thing is, is like you mentioned it before, we've we've got this far really without Stuart's contributions, like largely, without the contributions of Ballard. You know, playing Gooch right back, who's never played right back till the season really, playing Luke O nine mainly as a centre half, who's been excellent. We haven't even mentioned him by the way, he was my man the match. Mm-hmm. In that game at Hull, outstanding again at centre half. I think I said the other week, try ripping that shirt off his back. He ain't given that position up with uh, with any ease. So you know, Luke O'Nine's he's playing there. It's not really his position. Agiolise has played quite a bit at left back when he's not really a left back. 
you're looking at maybe Embleton having to play in the centre of midfield and not really keeping his position. So we, we've got a number of lads who've held down um, regular starting berths in positions that aren't really theirs. And, you know, if we can just find that balance, I just, I just think that it's open season, this this playoffs. And But the other, th- the other thing is, by the way, is that there are another like 15, 16 teams with the exact same thought process going into January. And I actually think the likes of Watford, Norwich... Swansea, Middlesbrough probably, you know, will spend money. West Brom will probably spend money and they'll spend more money than we will and they'll probably spend it on players that we probably won't even be looking at because we've got a certain way of working. So, you know, it isn't, I say it's open season now, but, you know, with a couple of teams making a couple of quality additions, that strengthens them probably that little bit more than we we probably are at this point. But let's quickly, before we go, Craig, this feeds into a different topic around about expectation and stuff like we just i just said there we're bang mid-table this is about where i would like to see us at least come the end of the season yet there doesn't seem to be that feeling right throughout the fan base well, at the minute would that be fair to say you know are people what's your thoughts generally on sort of the expectation at the minute because i think anybody listening would would admit you know the the feeling when we do lose a game or we don't play particularly well is really extreme as it is actually when we win, to be honest, when we win, everyone's talking about the playoffs, everyone's talking about promotion, how where can this team go? And then when we have a disappointing performance or a disappointing result, it's mo- you, 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 you've still got people saying, like, get rid of Mowbray. It's not a lot of people, by the way, but there are people who say it, you know. And it, it seems to be one extreme or the other, doesn't it? There's no yeah. sort of balance. There's nobody really, look, there's not many people looking at this Sunland sat in 12th position, having won eight, drawn seven, lost eight which is mid-table form, looking at this and going, we're just a mid-table side, we're going to lose one week and then lo- and win the next. It's just the way it is. I think, um, as you said, maybe maybe the social media side of things really does like amplify some of the extreme tweets or Facebook posts or whatever that you see. It, you see it in the ground a little bit. Like We went 2-1 down against West Brom and the ground emptied. And that's like with time left on the clock. I'm not having to go at people, by the way. I'm just saying like, that's people throwing the towel in, isn't it? Like, oh God, right, we're losing. And it's, I don't know, it's weird, isn't it? I don't know whether it's a crap, is is the case, we didn't expect it to be this good, so everybody's expectations of what they're saying has been raised just naturally. I mean, I, I can't explain it, I can't put my finger on it. When I came out the ground at Wembley, I remember saying to a couple of people, like, just just as long as we stop up, because we can't, we can't come back to League One, there's, there's, we, we can never you know kind of go through all of this shit again and then as the season's gone on it you know kind of gradually changed a little bit it was well we'll just stay away from danger so it's you know 17th or 18th or whatever like that but so i guess in that sense my expectations like i say they're they're exceeded at the moment and that's just primarily based on i guess how well we've done without a lot of our main players like you said players are playing out of position we've had players out for months at a time and when it all clicks together, I mean, we have actually battered some teams this season. I mean, you look at the second half against Millwall, they're a side in the top 10, and we made them look ordinary. Rotherham, who, you know, what was it, April when they came to the Stadium of Light in League One? And I tell you what, I, I feared for the worst when they went 1-0 up against us that night. And then when they came back up in the midweek at the start of the season, I mean, we we, we, we tore them to bits. So you look at teams like Rotherham and, and, and Wigan, who came up with, with a bit of momentum, and and we're doing a hell of a lot better than they are at the moment. But I think sometimes people look at it a little bit and think, right, because we're Sunderland, because we're such a big club, 
it's kind of like what you, what you said a little bit of how people view us that we're one of the biggest clubs in England, which is absolutely fine. I think a lot of that is is subjective in terms of how big people think we are. But I, I honestly think at the present moment, this is probably the natural position for us. And maybe people look back at that 10-year period we had in the Premier League and think, right, okay, we, we deserve to be in there. But look, somebody somebody can do the homework on this. But if you look at Sunderland's league positions and the ups and downs and things like that we've had since we were very first relegated in the late 50s, Sunderland have spent more time outside of the top flight than they have in the top flight. Not sure if that's going to be a bit of a surprise to anybody, but that that 10-year period, in a sense, was a little bit of an anomaly that we never really sustained that length of time ever in the top flight um, since our first relegation. And this is not me trying to dampen in anybody's expectations of, of where they think we should go. Like I said, it's subjective. If you think that we should be knocking on the door, by all means, for, for automatic promotion or anything like that, absolutely fine. But where I am at the moment... I'm okay with it because although, look, I want to get back in the Premier League, I want to see us compete. I honestly think if we go up, we would struggle to get 15 points. And I base that on the lads that we would likely bring in because we don't have the money that we could compete with. And I just want to make sure that we do everything, you know, properly because that 10-year period in the Premier League, you look back at it, it was shit really, wasn't it? Beat Newcastle, we had a cup run, but we almost literally lost the club like we're a quarter of a billion pound in debt for a handful of nice nice moments and memories and then you look at these other teams who've done it better than we have the likes of your Bournemouth and Fulham and teams like that yeah okay they spend money but they're more sustainable than we are the likes of Crystal Palace who came up and you know they've been in the the Premier League for a length of time now and even Southampton back-to-back promotions they're always near the bottom of the table but they, they do enough they spend enough and they, they generate decent money and I think we've just got to make sure that for the next couple of years, wherever we end up, we've got to make sure that we get this bang on because you do not want a position where we overspend and then we've got to basically have a massive fire sale once again and, and just end up plummeting through the leagues. And I think at the moment, the direction of the football club, it's up. In the past year, we'll show you that. You go back, what, a year or so to this exact weekend last year, we're playing Ipswich away. We scabbed a 1-1 draw there. Nathan Broadhead scored in the second half, if you remember. We sat third in the table. And you're looking at it and going, oh, such and such have got how many games in hand this, that and the other. And you now look at us. We're 12th. We're competing against every single team half the season ago. And there's still a good argument to be made that we could we could basically make the playoffs. So for me, look, if we don't, I'm fine with this. If we, if we do, I would be absolutely over the moon. But for the, for the moment at least, like I say, from, from my two pence worth, I, th- I think we're on track. I think this is our natural position, at least for the moment. But I think that the the club is certainly heading in the right direction. Yeah, twelve heading into Christmas is brilliant. If you'd offer, if you'd offer me that that before the start of the season, I would have snapped your arm off. So no complaints from me. I'm pretty chill about everything. You know, I'm not really looking over our shoulders. I know that the league's a bit tight, but I look at some of them teams down the bottom end. I don't see Rotherham, Cardiff, Blackpool, Wigan. Huddersfield spending money. They're going to be the bottom five or six teams. I don't see us joining that pack. I only see this this the trajectory of this team going up. And yeah, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about the second half of the season. What I would say though about going into the second half of the season, it's very much like this kind of first half as well. You know, people should brace themselves, prepare themselves because there's going to be games where we are going to batter teams and we're going to lose. You look at Norwich at home at the start of the season, how good we were the day that Alex Neal left, 
how good we were and and basically their quality eventually you know they get that one moment to beat us and then you, you look at teams like Cardiff sat 20th they come to the stadium like the other week and, and we couldn't get near them so we're probably going to win win games where you know perhaps we, we don't deserve to win and then ultimately we're going to we're going to lose games where you think how on earth have we lost that and we're going to lose to teams who are lower than us in the division it's just the nature of, of what this division is Blackburn's your example they go and lose 4-1 at home to Preston they look absolutely terrible and then they go and beat Norwich away from home anybody can beat anybody in this league it's, like I say it's yeah. pro- probably why it's one of the most entertaining leagues in the world to be fair yeah well that leaves us uh, leaves us with Blackburn at home on Boxing Day and then we play on the Thursday away at Wigan like I say I'm, I'm looking at those two games thinking we can win both of them but we can also probably lose both of them like that's just the way we are at the minute but you know for me I'm really happy where we are and I, th- I actually think that we're going to finish higher than where we are but if we don't I'm not going to be too disappointed I'm just pretty happy with where, the way things are and I can see see the progress and we can see the players coming back and you can you can visualise where this where we're going to be come the end of the season you know pretty happy with all things considered so yeah I'm, I'm alright with the way things are going Craig but yeah we'll probably just leave it there then uh, before we do go though, uh, don't forget that we are running this year's Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen fundraiser. Currently as a sit here, it's just below 16 grand. We're hoping to hit 20 or so come the end of December. It would be lovely if we got above that. If you haven't donated yet, you can find all the links for that on our social media. Please give whatever you can, even if it's only a fiver. It's, you know, it, it's still money which is going to go to a good place. Everybody who's followed our stuff over recent years has seen the brilliant work that they do over at Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen, and that's why we support them through this podcast. If you can't make a financial donation, there are other ways you can help, even just sharing it, encouraging other people you know to donate, making them aware of the campaign, making them aware of the charity. Even this podcast you're listening to, if you play the adverts at the start and the end, that generates revenue, which we donate directly through the year to the Soup Kitchen, um, we have a direct debit which goes directly from us, from our podcast revenue to them. We don't take a penny of it. They get every penny of our podcast revenue. That's been the case all throughout this year. It's going to be the case going forward. So even if you can't afford to give that little donation, just listening to the adverts I play at the start and the end, I know they're not for everybody, but it does put money in their pockets and and goes to a good place. So there are millions of ways you can help. But yeah, let's let's keep this going. Um, if you're going to the game on Boxing Day, any match tickets purchased between now and then for that game, not season tickets, but match tickets, um, the club are donating a pound from every ticket to the campaign. So with that being usually the biggest home game of the season, that gives us the opportunity to make anywhere sort of between 10 and 15, 16,000 pounds for them, which would be unbelievable. Like, we didn't see that coming. The club have done that off their own back. We didn't ask them to do it. They announced that without our knowledge and it totally caught us off guard and we're just so grateful and the charity are so grateful because that's going to be an amazing amount of money and, again, it's a way that people can contribute. If you're going to the game, you're buying a ticket, know that you're contributing. That leaves me just to say goodbye, Craig. Have a good night's sleep, mate. Don't ruin your car again. Should probably wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I'm not really a Christmas. I'm, I'm crap me. This is the most Christmassy I get around the sort of the fundraiser. We've got one. We're not spending Christmas at home this year, so we haven't decorated the house. But yeah, Merry Christmas, I guess. Everybody That's really just lowered and soured everybody's <laughs> yeah. uh, 
Merry Christmas, yeah. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a nice time. Um, but yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a good time. Hope you uh, have a, a great day with your families, with your friends, whoever you're spending Christmas with. We'll be back after Christmas with some podcasts. You've got your rotorreport.espionation.com content coming every single day to keep you ticking over. We're over on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those good places. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. We'll catch you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.